But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Pocatello, Idaho, frowns are forbidden. Literally, it's a crime to walk around town with a grim or a sullen expression on your face. A city ordinance enacted in 1948 prohibits the citizens of Pocatello from looking gloomy while strolling their city streets. According to the law, if you're in Pocatello, whether you like it or not, you better be wearing a smile. Here at Calvary Chapel, we have no such laws. We won't throw you in the slammer if your face indicates you're having a bummer of a day. But as God's kids, we really ought to be wearing smiles. Joy should characterize our lives. The story's told of a man who was stranded in St. Louis on a Sunday morning. He was in town for business, and his flight had been delayed until Monday. This fellow was a Christian, and he wanted to gather with other believers to worship his Lord. And so he asked the hotel clerk if he could direct him to a good church. Well, the clerk gave him careful directions, but told him he'd better hurry. The service was about to begin. But as the man was leaving the hotel, he asked the clerk why he had suggested that particular church of the many others in town. The clerk replied, I don't go to church very much myself, but the people who come out of that church are the happiest looking people in St. Louis. If I did go to church, that'd be the one for me. I have no doubt that's God's desire for Calvary Chapel, for us to be a church full of joyful people. Did you know the word enthusiasm? It's from two Greek words, in and theos. Theos means God. Thus, enthusiasm is literally in God or full of God. True joy, true zeal, true excitement, real enthusiasm for living comes when a person is full of God. Paul's letter to the Philippians teaches us that the evidence of Jesus in our lives is the presence of joy in our hearts. And as we've learned, his joy still flies even when the flag of our life flaps at half-mast. In other words, even in times of sorrow or grief or difficulty, the joy of Jesus still swells up within us. Yet rather than live this kind of joyful life, some of the believers that I know let the world and Satan and even their own failures throw a wet blanket over what God intended. I've seen Christians, people who were born again, bound for heaven, forgiven to boot, look so sullen you would think they had been baptized in pickle juice. They look like they've given up. They're sinking rather than soaring. If they lived in Pocatello, Idaho, they would have been slapped for a ticket by now 
fine for a frown. Reminds me of Ed Greer. In the early 1980s, Ed worked for Hughes Aircrafts in El Segundo, California. He had a great job, was making a handsome living, had a family, house in the burbs. But Ed was a miserable man. Ed had tired of the corporate rat race. He felt pressured at home. His wife kept pushing him to climb the corporate ladder. Yet his best efforts on the job seemed never to be enough to satisfy his employers. Well, finally, on September the 10th, 1981, Ed Greer snapped. He left work that day, climbed on an airplane, and he headed for Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He just disappeared. Poof, vanished. He told no one where he was going or if he'd ever be back. Ed escaped his smothering circumstances. He abandoned his wife, his two sons, his co-workers. And for the next seven years, Ed Greer kicked around the beaches of South Florida fixing boat engines. Well, Ed's wife divorced him. His company fired him. But it was weird. Ed Greer became somewhat of a folk hero among his former employees. Apparently, a lot of the folks he worked with identified with Ed's frustrations. Employees at Hughes Aircraft started holding annual celebrations every September the 10th. They called it Ed Greer Day. People even wore masks resembling their, in honor of their hero. Seven years after Ed's disappearance in October 1988, the FBI finally caught up with Ed Greer in Houston, Texas. In an interview, the 40-year-old Greer, he tried to explain his actions. He said, I felt trapped. I didn't like my life. And so he ran. He copped out. He bailed out. He wimped out on the people who were depending on him. Hey, I felt the same kind of pressures that Ed Greer felt. I'm sure you have too. At times we've all thought, oh, how nice would it be to just walk away from all my responsibilities, just escape all my troubles in an instant. Wow. Yet short of the rapture, escape is never God's will. Escape is not God's solution to yours or my situation. God's answer is joy. Remember the book of Philippians. This joy-filled journal, it was penned by a man in prison. Paul was behind bars. He was handcuffed to a Roman guard. His ankles and wrists were chained. He was awaiting his day in court before the wicked Nero who would render his sentence. And yet in this book, the apostle of joy is kicking up his heels. Paul celebrates life and love, friends and Jesus. He seems to be plucking joy out of thin air. He rejoices even in a situation that was void of the tiniest traces of joy. Obviously, Paul lived his life from the inside out. Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe recounts a flight he was on to New York City. The plane was ordered into a holding pattern over Kennedy Airport. It added an extra hour to everybody's trip. When the delay was announced in the cabin, one of the passengers shouted, bring out the booze. Apparently, the only resource available to this man when situations turned sour was a bottle of liquor. What about you? Do you live from the inside out or from the outside in? 
When times get tough, do you depend on outward stimulus? Or do you possess an inner, a spiritual strength? Is your mood, your attitude shaped by your circumstances? Or is there an inner reservoir of hidden spiritual capital out of which you can draw? Realize all nature depends on hidden resources. Tall oak trees are supported by extensive root systems that dive deep into the soil to suck up water and minerals from the earth. Raging rivers spring from sources high atop the snow-capped mountains. The supply is out of sight or below the surface. Even the man-made space station that orbits the earth carries an onboard supply of food and water and fuel and oxygen. There's no place to plug into in space. And likewise, God wants us to carry on board a stash of hidden spiritual resources that we can draw on even in difficult times. Let me put it another way. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? See, a thermometer has no effect on its environment. The mercury rises or falls based on its surroundings. It just reads the temperature. It doesn't set it. Whereas a thermostat alters the temperature. Its inner workings dictate the comfort of its surroundings. Hey, I want to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Don't you want to live from the inside out rather than from the outside in? See, Paul was a thermostat. He carried with him onboard spiritual resources that allowed him to be content, even joy-filled in the very worst of situations. Ed Greer escaped. Too many of us live defeated, but Paul was an overcomer despite his situation. He could find joy even when the flag of his life flew at half-mast. For me, it's comforting to recognize that Paul didn't always have victory in trying circumstances. Notice what he says in verse 11. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul's joyful resilience wasn't an ability he just picked up overnight. An overcoming attitude is an aptitude you have to learn. You cultivate it over time. The Greek word translated learned in verse 11 means to learn by experience. Some trial and and error is involved. There's a lot of getting knocked down and then getting back up that you have to grasp to be able to learn this lesson. Paul learned to rejoice or literally to take joy. He developed contentment while enrolled in Life 101. Paul was a student at UGA the University of Grievances and Aggravations. Perhaps you are an alumni of that UGA. But it was there in the rough and tumble of life, in the midst of the daily grind, that Paul learned how to rejoice in whatever difficulties life dished out to him. Paul learned five lessons that taught him how to live from the inside out. And if you've got your pen, you've got your little pad, you need to get them out now. I hope you're ready to jot down these five points. Here are the five keys to living inside out. First, 
Paul learned that Christians live in different states. They do. Second, he learned that contentment isn't found in where and what. Third, Paul learned that joy doesn't always carpool with happiness. Fourth, he learned that success always comes in a can. And then fifth, he learned that overcoming strength flows through Jesus Christ. First, if you want to do some inside-out living, you need to learn that Christians live in different states. Notice in verse 10, Paul acknowledges the believers in Philippi and the uniqueness of their circumstances. He writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. We're going to come back to the details, the exact details of the Philippians' condition next week. Earlier circumstances had limited the financial support they could provide Paul. But now their situation had changed. They could give. They had always cared. Now they can show it. The point, though, Paul is acknowledging is that some believers have the wherewithal to give, whereas others don't. That means that Christians live in different states. Yet I can hear some of you complain. Come on, Pastor Sandy. You're just stating the obvious here now. Sure, there are believers in different states. They're in Georgia and South Carolina and Florida and my, oh my, I've even heard there are a few Christians in Alabama. <laughs> Alabama, really? God's grace is amazing. <laughs> but you and I know that's not what I'm talking about. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul isn't talking about the 50 states. He's talking about the infinite number of circumstances we're liable to encounter as we trudge our way through this world. For some of us, life has been a trail of tears, sprinkled with only a few breaks and some slight reprieves. For more of us, life has been a bundle of blessing, tempered by a teardrop or two. For the rest of us, life has been an equal mixture of both good times and bad times. But what every believer in Jesus at some point discovers is that God's will doesn't always involve pleasant circumstances. The truth we're so reluctant to accept is that we learn more from the trials God allows us to experience than we do from life's thrills. We do. You see, if the reason for these few short years on earth is to get us ready for an eternity with God, and it is, then it seems pretty clear to me that now is the time to learn from those trials before they cease forever. United States tennis champion Arthur Ashe had heart bypass surgery in 1983. The surgery called for a blood transfusion, and from it, Ash contracted AIDS. When Arthur Ash was first diagnosed in 1988, he was tempted to direct his anger toward God. 
But he overcame that temptation. And in 1992, Arthur Ashe spoke to an assembly at Niagara Community College, and he testified of the place that Jesus Christ held in his life. Ash reflected, I've had a religious faith growing up in the South and black and having the church as the focal point of my life. And I was reminded of what Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was asking, why do the innocent suffer? And I'm not so innocent. I mean, I'm hardly a perfect human being. But you ask yourself, why me? And I think, why not me? Why should I be spared what some others have been afflicted with? I think of all the good in my life, a great wife and daughter, family and friends, professional successes, and a free scholarship to UCLA, all kinds of good things. You could also ask of the good, why me? Sometimes there are no explanations. You see, it's true for both the good and the bad. This is why I say God allows Christians to live in different states at different times. When the artist Rembrandt painted the disciples' boat as it was being tossed in the stormy seas, he actually put 14 men in the boat. Look closely at the famous painting. There's Jesus, the 12 disciples, And there's a 14th passenger. Who was it? It was Rembrandt himself. For the famous painter knew that just because we're Christians, we're not immune to the storms and stresses of life on earth. Christians live in every state, both pleasant states and painful states. Hey, if you're going to live from the inside out, you can't get disappointed and angry with God and begin to doubt him every time you face a little hardship. Nor can you forget him and neglect him when you're floating on calm and carefree seas. Smooth sailing, periods of prosperity can be as dangerous to our faith as the storms. Paul says in verse 12, I know how to be full and hungry, to abound and suffer need. See, Christians can live in prosperity or poverty, but they need to live the very same way from the inside out. For notice the second lesson that Paul learned about living this kind of inside out attitude. He discovered that contentment isn't found in where and what. You are terribly mistaken if you think that all that separates you from real joy is a change in your circumstances, some additional possession, or maybe a transitional location. If you think that's what's keeping you from being happy, forget it. Contentment isn't found in the where and the what. A 2014 Harris poll listed the modern inventions that Americans said that they couldn't live without. Here's the stuff we just can't live without. 42% said they couldn't live without their automobile. 30% said their computer or laptop or tablet. 28% said internet access. Some of you were asking for the passcode when you walked in this morning. 26% said their mobile phone. 23% said their television, 
8% said their GPS, and 7% said social media. Now, try to imagine your grandpa saying that he just couldn't be happy without social media. Or grandma admitting that her life would not be complete without her GPS. Yesterday's luxuries have certainly become today's necessities. If you think purchasing a new car or going on that vacation is going to end your battle with the blues or moving into that new neighborhood is going to fulfill your family life or landing a prestigious job is going to bring about the contentment that you've been longing for, then my friend, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. John Makovsky, he thought that dumping his wife would solve all his problems. Just get rid of the old gal. He was so thrilled when the divorce was final. January the 20th, 1993 was the day when it was all official. But John's excitement was short-lived. On January 21st, one day later, his ex-wife, Mary Ann, claimed the 10.2 million jackpot in the New Jersey pick six lottery. (laughs) The very next day. When asked how John was feeling, his lawyer replied, very upset. I think that's the word I would use. (laughs) Don't be foolish and think that you can engineer contentment or fulfillment by changing the who or what or where of your life. Living from the inside out means being content. As Paul put it, everywhere and in all things. It's been said, a truly happy person is the guy or gal who can enjoy the scenery on a detour. Realize our text presents us with what at first seems to be a contradiction. In verse 12, Paul says that there were occasions where he suffered need. Yet in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in regard to need. What gives, Paul? Well, see, Paul is not denying that he has needs. He has physical needs for food and rest and air and water and the like. He also has emotional needs, love and acceptance and significance and security. Paul has needs, but he's no longer driven by these needs. He knows how to turn his needs over to Jesus. See, rather than live his life in pursuit of his needs, Paul lived in pursuit of Jesus, and he trusted Jesus to take care of all that he needed, both the physical and the emotional needs. In verse 11, Paul uses a Greek word that's translated content, but it could better be translated contained. And isn't this real contentment? Paul was content in any situation because he contained in his heart all that he needed. Paul wasn't driven by needs for anything or anyone or anywhere other than Jesus. See, this is what we mean by the phrase, the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus alone was all Paul needed, and he's all you and I need as well. Jesus can satisfy the deepest parts of who we are and what we've been called to be. Look at what Paul said to the Philippians a little later in this chapter. Look down in verse 19. There Paul promises us, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
We need to learn this once and for all. Despite what our world tells us, Jesus can meet our every need. Well, the third lesson that Paul learned that helped him live an inside-out life was that joy doesn't always carpool with happiness. Realize joy and happiness are not synonyms. They are completely different experiences. Author Tim Hansel, he explains it this way. Happiness depends on circumstances. In fact, the word itself comes from the same root word as happening. It means that something good has happened to you. For example, if I get a new shirt, I'm happy. If I eat a good meal, I'm happy. If I paid off my car, I'd be happy. In fact, I'd probably be really happy. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. I encourage people to get as much happiness as they can. But we should realize that happiness is always based on circumstances, on happenings. And then he writes this, happiness is not the same as joy. Because circumstances allow happiness, they can also make happiness dissolve into thin air. Joy, on the other hand, defies circumstances. It can coexist with doubt and ambiguity and pain. It is a contentedness beyond circumstances, an indestructible kind of confidence. So you could summarize it by saying that happiness is an unpredictable feeling, whereas joy is an indestructible force. This is the key to being an overcomer. This is why the Bible declares the joy of the Lord is our strength. Two letters came from teenage girls. They appeared in the Dear Abby column. They were published just a few days apart. The first letter read, Dear Abby, Happiness is knowing your parents won't yell at you if you come home a little late. Happiness is having your own bedroom. Happiness is getting the phone call you've been praying for. Happiness is something I don't have. Signed, healthy, but unhappy and ungrateful. A couple days later, another letter appeared. This girl wrote, Dear Abby, happiness is being able to walk. Happiness is being able to talk. Happiness is being able to see. Happiness is being able to hear. Unhappiness is reading a letter from a 15-year-old girl who can do all these things and still says she's unhappy. I can talk, I can see, I can hear, but I can't walk. Signed, 13, and happy and grateful. You see, real joy has very little to do with circumstances. See, happiness just happens when and how and the duration it lasts. Who knows? But joy is a choice. Ella Wilcox wrote a poem that I think says it so well. One ship drives east and another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of fate as we voyage along through life. Tis the set of the soul that decides the goal and not the calm or the strife. What is the set of your cells? The goal of your soul? Do you want to always be drifting on the highs and lows of circumstance? Going with the rising tides and the falling tides always? Or do you want a life 
lived in the enduring joy of Jesus. See, Paul uses this word rejoice multiple times in this letter. The most recent example was chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Recall that term rejoice. You know what it means? It means to take joy. You rejoice when you reach out to Jesus by faith and grab hold of his joy. The joy of the Lord is not something we muster up on our own. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit that gives us joy. But our job is to reach for it and to grab hold. Notice fourthly, Paul learned that success always comes in a can. Once I was coaching baseball when a player said, Coach, I just can't do it. I reprimanded the boy. I said, son, my daddy used to tell me that can't never did anything. I didn't want to hear his excuses. Well, at that moment, another one of the kids, he piped in. He said, that's right, coach. Success always comes in a can. Never forgot it. It's true. And I would agree. Paul would agree with us. This is why he says in verse 13, I can Do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you hear about the fourth grade class that had a funeral? The teacher made the kids list all the things they couldn't do. I can't kick the ball past second base. I can't do long division with three numerals. I can't get Susan to like me. On and on their list went. The papers were all collected. They were put in a box. Then the class marched outside with the box, and they buried it just outside the window of their classroom. They had a funeral service. From that day forward, whenever a child slipped up and said those awful words, I can't, the teacher would escort the student to the window and point to that freshly dug grave just outside. All their I can'ts were dead and gone. They had been buried forever. They were no longer legitimate excuses. And we too need to bury all our I can'ts. Remember the word content. It means contained. Paul contained sufficient resources in his own heart and life to meet any need that might arise. Paul was sufficient, but it was not his own self-sufficiency. The resources at Paul's disposal were put there by Jesus. The Amplified Version ties it all together. Verse 13 reads, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. People ask, Pastor Sandy, what if someone came in and stuck a gun to your head and said, deny Jesus or I'll pull the trigger? What would you do? Well, you know, I want to say, well, yeah, I wouldn't deny Jesus. I would stand up for my faith. You know, do I have that strength within me at the moment? Probably not. But I know that Jesus lives in my heart. And I know that when that moment comes, if it does, he'll give me the strength. He'll give me what I need in that moment. A lot of difficulties that are down the road that we look at today and we say we may or may not rise to the occasion. But you know what? When we get there, we know that we can do it through Christ Jesus our Lord. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You see, through faith, I can do it. And that's where it begins. If I concede from the outset 
that I just can't do that. It just can't happen for me. Then I stand no choice. If I succumb to the evil tendencies or the feelings of sadness or the discouraging circumstances, if I just accept them without believing that I can beat them, without putting up a fight, then how will Jesus ever have the opportunity to show himself strong on my behalf? If my immediate reaction when difficulty raises its head is to cower from the challenge and just capitulate to the pressures, toss in the towel, hide my lack of faith behind a bunch of I can'ts, then I won't. Victory comes through Jesus, yes, but it starts with the confidence that through him it can be done. Once upon a time, one of my sons, who will remain nameless on the grounds it could incriminate him, he went upstairs and he spread shaving cream on his younger brother while he was sleeping. Well, after I reprimanded Nick, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> after I reprimanded this unnamed son, we prayed and we asked Jesus to forgive him. But here was his prayer. He mumbled something like, well, God, please stop me the next time I think about doing something bad. Don't let me do it, God. Just come down and grab my hand. I didn't really like that prayer. That's a poor prayer, son. It put too much responsibility on God and too little on himself. Yes, God gives us the strength to overcome temptation, but we've got to use that strength once he gives it. We can't expect God to work on our behalf without our cooperation. Don't count on God reaching down out of heaven and physically prying a can of shaving cream or a can of beer, for that matter, out of your white-knuckled grip. God's not going to take over your appendages to make you... You're not a puppet. No, God is going to work in your life, but you're going to need to cooperate. God helps you, but you do it. God never violates our will. He won't force us to do what we don't want to do. That's why in verse 13, victory starts with I can. It's not pride, but it's faith that it can happen. It's accepting my responsibility to draw upon Christ's strength. Over time, Paul had realized that success always comes in a can. And then fifth and finally, to live this inside-out life, Paul learned that overcoming strength flows through Jesus Christ. Notice the scope, the source, the supply revealed in verse 13. First, the scope. I can do how many things? All things. Then the source. Through whom? Through Christ. And finally, the supply. Through Christ who gives us what? Who strengthens me. Pain never caused Paul to doubt God. Prosperity never caused him to forget God. He was confident that the strength of Christ would sustain him despite the situation, whatever situation he faced. See, a Christian cannot lose. We can handle anything that comes our way through the strength of Jesus Christ. Heard of a pastor who was asked to speak at a Bible conference, one of his friends had invited him to come. 
When it came time to introduce this pastor, his friend, the host pastor, stood up and he stated, I would like to introduce to you the most dynamic person you will ever meet. He's exciting, positive, and winsome. He can reach inside of you more deeply than anyone else you have ever known. He will give you the confidence and courage and lots of other things you always wanted but never had. Wow, this pastor was floored. He knew his friend thought a lot of him, but man, oh man, this was the most flattering introduction he had ever heard, let alone received. He wasn't quite sure how to react. Well, as he was thinking on a suitable response, his friend finished the introduction. And the person of whom I am speaking is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to tell him, tell you about him, here's my friend. <laughs> Instantly, his head returned to the proper proportions. <laughs> but let me tell you, everything that host pastor said about Jesus and far more is true. Jesus wants to reach deep into your heart and plant supernatural resources in your life. He wants to hide his power and peace and love and joy inside of you. He is stockpiling in you spiritual blessings that you can draw on in any situation. In high school, I carried around with me a pocket New Testament. And in it, I had Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 underlined. I think I had it circled and an additionally yellow marked. Had this verse noted. Before Tim Tebow wore it on his eye black, I had put this verse to memory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I read Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 before every football game I played. It was part of my pregame ritual. And yet, I have to say, I interpreted this verse in terms of winning the game and scoring the decisive touchdown and triumphing over the other team. But when I reached a level of competition where I was no longer successful and had to give up the sport I love, I realized that again, this verse came to my aid. For there was meaning to this verse that I had never seen. See, my life wasn't over. Christ could strengthen me to play, but he could also strengthen me to move on to other pursuits. Jesus can enable us to do and to not do. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If it's the Lord's will for you to succeed on your job, he'll strengthen you in it. If he wants you to change careers, he'll strengthen you through the transition. When babies are born, Christ gives us the energy to provide that constant care they need. When kids turn teenagers, he gives us wisdom from above. When they leave as adults, he helps us to let them go. Jesus is enough for all the challenges we face, for the rigors of youth and for the difficulties of old age. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what it means to live inside out. It's relying on the strength of Jesus in every situation, to run or to wait, to build up or to break down, to speak or to keep silent. When I'm up or when I'm down, when the storms are blowing or when the blessings are flowing, it's knowing that I can do all things in each and every situation through Christ who strengthens me. Let's learn the lessons that help Paul live life from the inside out. 
Christians live in different states. Contentment isn't found in where and what. Joy doesn't always carpool with happiness. Success always comes in a can, and overcoming strength flows through Jesus Christ. Joy is the result when we live our lives from the inside out.